Hello. No more denying that it's fall. Hi, Chad. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> I haven't seen you for a while. We're going to hang out this close. We might as well introduce ourselves, right? Yeah. Awesome. My name's Evan. I'm a pastor down here. Uh, before we hop into the sermon, to the message, I kind of want to highlight some of the announcements. Uh, I'm going to focus in on the two inserts. They're real little, real convenient. First one is a connection card. The beauty and the purpose of church is community. It's connecting with people, not just coming together once a week in order to listen to people saying and somebody to talk, but rather to develop relationships so that way you can support and encourage and have fun with other people. The connection card allows us to send you emails about various opportunities that you have to do exactly that. And we will not overload you, I promise. It's once a month we'll send something out letting you know what's coming that month. Every once in a while, you'll get something else. Um, But if we don't have your email, if you haven't been getting any of the emails from us, uh, I sent one out at the beginning of September, the beginning of August. Um, I'd encourage you to go that route. Also on that, um, the idea of getting plugged in, you'll see at the bottom if you're interested in being a part of what we do down here. And that, again, is the purpose of the church. I think of the analogy of the body, everybody doing their part. It's not a matter of everything falling on one or two people's shoulders. So, um, yeah, think about that. The second one, uh, 21 days of intention. And I've been talking to you about this a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Ben brought it up three weeks ago. But on October 15th, I challenge you to set apart 21 days to intentionally seek God. 21 days, three weeks, where you are intentional about seeking God and loving other people. You know, a lot of studies show that in a 21-day period, you can break or develop new habits. So often we coast through life. Even though we believe, most of us probably believe in the God of the Bible and have had experiences with him that have changed our life, we often just go through the day-to-day without even thinking about the fact that he is there and he desires to interact with us. And so, starting October 15th through November 3rd, I challenge you to pray, think about, and come up with some way to intentionally see God during that time. And that's the beauty of the back of this card. When you decide what that is, it could be prayer, it could be fasting, it could be biblical study or meditation, it could be a small group, it could be hanging out with your kids, whatever, write it here and put it somewhere where you can see it. So that way you are daily reminded of what you want to do over those 21 days. When we get intentional about seeking God, from my experience, from what I see in the Bible, it can radically change our experience in this life. That's what he wants. But that's the problem with free will. If we don't do it, we don't get so much of the good things he wants to give us. So if you have more questions about this, we have um, a link on our website to 21 Days of Intention. Um, There's a video, all sorts of stuff to get you jazzed up. Okay, so we are nearing the end of a series that we've been walking through entitled Loving God and Loving Others Individually and Collectively. And at the root of this is the idea that loving God and loving others is why we were created. Jesus says this in Matthew 22, right? The greatest commandment is to love God with everything. The second is similar Love others the same way you love yourself. And so what we're doing is looking at various tools that God has given us to 
fulfill our purpose in life. We looked at the beauty of community and the power of it um, the first two weeks. The last three weeks, two weeks, two weeks, we've been looking at uh, spiritual disciplines, what we can do individually to allow us to have better opportunity to love God and love others. Um, The last two weeks, we looked at more of like inward disciplines, the idea of prayer, biblical study, meditation, and fasting. Tonight, we're going to be looking at outward disciplines, habits of outwardly expressing one's love for God and love for others, specifically generosity and serving. That means we're going to be examining what we should do with our money and with our time. Just like the idea of fasting, this most likely will make you feel uncomfortable. Things that you may not naturally want to do. But being a follower of Jesus does not mean things are going to be easy. It is promised that things will be good, that you will be given an abundant life, a life full of love and joy and peace, one with purpose and contentment, but it is not guaranteed that your life will always be comfortable. Wanting to follow Jesus means that one should be willing to exchange their desires for God's desires. To do that requires a recognition of who God is and who you are. Before one understands their place in the universe, it is much more difficult to be willing to release their money and their time. So that's kind of where I want to start this this evening, not this morning, this evening. How often do you believe that what you have is because of what you've done? That your bank account and collection of toys is a direct result of you and your hard work and education level. Now, I know the answer seems quite obvious. Of course, what I have done and continue to do is what gives me what I need and what I want. Our culture reinforces the same worldview. We live in a country where one can pull themselves themselves up by their own bootstraps and create create whatever life they desire, which definitely has some truth to it. But out of this way of seeing life comes the innate belief that what I have is mine and it is my choice to do what I think is best or most appropriate. The reality is that we are not solely responsible for what we have. Even though your hard work brings you your paychecks, did you earn or create your natural talents or your personality? Did you choose to be born in a country of prosperity during a time of endless possibility? Did you engineer your brain to be hardwired to be able to learn and accomplish so much? So maybe that train of thought isn't challenging you. What about your time? Did you create yourself out of nothing? Did you cause the sun to rise today? Did you put the breath in your lungs and cause the world to function as it should the moment you woke up this morning? What we so easily forget is that everything we have is a gift. At the root of our existence, all is grace. We have been precisely created for a certain number of days during which we are given specific talents. If we hang on to this concept, if we create this filter, we begin to see that the money and time that we have are not our own, but our creator's. 
You know, tonight what I hope we walk away with is a better understanding of God's view of our money and time. And these are massive topics. I'm going to take 10 minutes probably for each one, and so it's more of like a B1 flying over taking a picture. But my hope is that you get an understanding of the concepts that we should have to approach our money and our time. So let's start with money. Now, the common Christian view on God and money is that we are called to tithe how much? 10%, plain and simple. Give 10% to the church, and we have done what God wants us to do with our money. Fortunately, it is not that simple. Now, I don't have time to dig too deep, but let me point out a couple things about tithing. Two things. The first, the verses in the Bible in which God commands giving 10% are all under the Mosaic Covenant which was for Israel back before Jesus brought the new covenant. Even these verses don't command giving just 10%. When you multiply the tithes, when you add them up, it's closer to 30% of their yearly earnings. The second point to consider, the writings in the New Testament, which are coming from under the new covenant that Jesus brought, don't once mention tithing, which is translated 10%. Even Jesus isn't recorded telling his disciples to give 10%. There's quite a bit on giving, but with more of a focus on being generous rather than giving a specific amount. Right? Sermon's done. Don't give to the church. Have a good week. Right? Some of you are going to wish it stops there. Right? My hope right now is to show you the heart or the mindset that God wants us to have behind money. So let's open it up or read behind me Deuteronomy 15. We're going right into the Pentateuch, the Mosaic Law, to figure out the heart of God. Deuteronomy 15, 7. If there, is in, if there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission is near, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your needy neighbor might cry out to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and be unjudging when you do so, for on this account the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. It's an intense way to view money, possessions. You know, even though this was written by Moses and was given to the Israelites as instruction to, on how to live life well, there is so much insight that we can gain on God's universal desire for all of humanity towards their money. I'm going to give you five different concepts to consider from this passage. The first, one that we, first thing that we see in this passage is that our money, the things that we own, are not just for us. Verse 7. If there is any... If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community, in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor. God desires for us to not be selfish or greedy with what we own. Rather, we are to use what we have to help meet the needs of those around us. 
We are called to be generous, being willing to freely give of what is ours for the sake of others. Number two. Second thing we see in this passage is that we are not called to give a set amount. Verse eight. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Instead of simply giving 10%, we are to open our hands and willingly give whatever a person may need. Our goal should never be to give a set amount and check generosity off the list. Rather, it should be to be willing to continually help those in need. Number three. The third thing we see about money is that the more generous we are willing to be, the more that God will pour his blessings upon us. And this one still is hard for me to fathom. Verse 10, give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all you, you undertake. And this speaks volumes of who God is and the mindset he wants us to have towards our money. God does not want us to simply give away everything we own and struggle with our own finances. Right? The reason I say this, check out 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for those who in this present age are rich, which is us, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. How often do you think about the God of the Bible and his desire for us to have everything we want to enjoy? He wants us to have the good things that we like and to be able to do the things we love, to go on vacations, to buy mountain bikes or nice shoes or a cute handbag. Right? But he also wants us to have complete dependence on him and a desire to love those around us. By telling us to give liberally and be ungrudging when we do so, he is giving us opportunities to step beyond what is comfortable and trust that he will continue to provide us what we need, which is what he promises to do. Number four, and my hope with running through these five is that you will come back and read this section on your own tonight, tomorrow, and just use what I'm giving you to help you dig a little bit deeper and see where the spirit leads you. So the fourth thing we see in this passage is that we are not commanded to only give to the church. Interesting for a pastor to say, right? But verse 11, since there will never cease to be some in need on the, church, or on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbors in your land. Now the church can be an amazing tool to help the poor and needy. It also does so much in bringing the gospel into our broken world. But we must know that we are not restricted to putting our money in the offering plate. We are each ambassadors of Christ called to individually bring his love into our worlds. We must fight against the tendencies that we all have to simply hand off our money to some organization and consider our job done. The last thing I want us to see in this section of Scripture is that we are called to give because we have been given so much. And I'll actually move on to verses 12 through 15. If a member of your community, whether a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold, into, sold to you and works for you six years, in the seventh year you shall set that person free. And when you send a male slave out from you, a free person, you shall not send them out empty-handed. 
provide liberally out of your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press, thus giving to him some of the bounty with which your Lord God has blessed you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. For this reason, I lay this command upon you today. Now, in this scenario, this person, the slave, was unable to provide for himself to the point that he had to become dependent on another to house and feed him. In some ways, this is similar to welfare. At the end of his seven years of depending on another for his basic needs, the one who has been providing him is to providing for him is to set him free. Instead of doing so with condescending thoughts of his worthlessness and inability to take care of himself, he is to be released with an abundance of gifts. Verse 14. Provide liberally out of your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press, thus giving to him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed him. Now, in our culture, this would be considered illogical and unwise. A person doesn't deserve that, right? This is when helping hurts. Why would you just give that to him? But when they are to do this out of the mindset that they were once slaves who had been set free from inescapable bondage and given an abundance of wealth that they did not earn, then it makes it far more sense for them to be compassionate. Right? They're able to look at their own lives and say, man, God did so much for me. I have so much that I do not earn, that I did not earn, that I do not deserve. Therefore, I need to be compassionate in the same way. All of this stuff, specifically the slaves and the mindset that we've been given so much, therefore we should give to others, applies to us today. In terms of our wealth, we should operate out of the understanding that at the core of it, we have done nothing to earn what we have. That God has provided us with the means to have everything that we need in this life. No matter how easy it is to believe that we are self-sufficient, this is not true. Every day, we depend on our Creator to give us what we need. Therefore, we should be willing to not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards those in need. Rather, we should have the compassion to be open-handed, knowing that God will continue to give us what we need. Let me give you a short story of the power of generosity. Uh, Seven, eight, nine years ago, I felt called to take my wife and I away from a stable home uh, good life, good jobs, all those things, sell everything and go to study the Bible in the mountains of North Carolina for 10 months. And my wife was going to be going on staff with this Bible school. I was going to be a student. So therefore, we had no way to make our own income. Um, and so we had to ask for support. My wife sent out a few letters, not a lot. Um, and I'll never forget that first month that we were there, she got her support check And we sat, opened it up together, and there was enough to cover us for the entire year. Unbelievable. The power of those people being willing to just give a little or a lot totally changed my view on my life and God as a provider. I remember in that moment realizing, and I have not lost this, that I never have to worry about a thing again. That God is my tangible provider and he will always give me what I need. You have to understand, when we are generous, it can do far more than you will ever know. Far more than you can even consider would happen to the people that you're generous towards. 
That's why God is calling you to give so that way he can do things for other people. Now we studied Deuteronomy 15. If you want to see similar concepts in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. We're not going to go into it. We don't have time. Man, Paul goes into it and addresses so many of the similar concepts that Moses was just talking about. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Okay. So there's God, some of God's view on our money. It is not ours, but it is his. Let's look at our time. Now, the governing philosophies that we just discovered about our money is just as applicable to our time. Now, time is one of the most valuable things we have. We are only given a limited amount and can do nothing to increase what we've been given. We are finite and can do only so many things in the days we have. Out of this understanding, we can resonate with Charles Darwin when he said, a man who dares to waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. But so often, we then follow the wisdom of Miley Cyrus. Life is all about having a good time. Or Kanye West. He's a rapper, for those of you that don't know. People always tell you, be humble, be humble. But when was the last time someone told you to be amazing? Be great, be great, be awesome, be awesome. We grab, a hold of, we grab and hold on to our time in the same way we do our money. We fill our days doing the things that make us most happy or that make us the most money or that bring us the most amount of pleasure or the most amount of approval from others. We spend our time on ourselves because this is my life and I'm going to live it my way. That's Bon Jovi, by the way. I spent a little too much time looking at pop stars' view on life. (laughs) But just like with our money, we forget that we are not the source of our life. We so easily forget that we have been created and given a certain number of days to accomplish specific things. And Jesus understood this, and he used it as a guiding philosophy for his life. Let's look at John. John 5 and John 8. This is Jesus talking to both of them. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. I believe this is why Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness before he began his ministry. He wanted to remove his attachments to anything but his Father. I also believe that this is why he so often pulled away in the early mornings to pray, so that way he could openly submit his mind and his time to the one who sent him. Jesus lived out of the understanding that God had specific plans for his days, and so should we. A major thing that Jesus was called to do and we are called to do is to serve others. Jesus puts it this way in Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What I want to focus in on is to be served, not to be served, but to serve. And if you read through the Gospels, it's so easy to see Jesus living this call out. 
the ways that he interacted with people show his innate desire to come alongside people in their brokenness and do whatever he could do to help them experience the abundant life. And we are created to do the same thing. Remember the second greatest commandment? To love others like you love yourself. Instead of viewing the precious time that we have here on this earth as a means to simply bring goodness to our own lives, we must fight to hang on to the governing motto that we have been made to serve and not to be served. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that it was in Christ Jesus. Your role as a husband or a wife is to serve your spouse. Your role as a parent is to serve your child. As someone's child, someone's brother or sister, someone's employer or employee, someone's coworker, as someone's friend, there are endless opportunities to serve. And there is just as many chances to serve random people. Think about a broken down car, a mom overwhelmed in the grocery store, the homeless and financially destitute, single parents, children across the board. There are so many opportunities for us to serve instead of waiting to be served. Like I mentioned earlier, if you are a follower of Christ and you are his ambassador, you have been called to represent the God of the Bible to those you come across in your day-to-day life. A crucial way to do this is by serving other people. Jesus summed up the role of his disciple in John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. Plain and simple, black and white. Our time is not our own. It is a gift given to us by the almighty maker of heaven and earth. He has specific plans for you and your time that will help bring his goodness into the broken world. You know, I bring this verse up all the time, but Ephesians 2.10, please. For we are what he has made us. He made us specifically the way that you are. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Take a moment and let that resonate with you, that you have been specifically created. If you have Jesus, then he has transformed you for good works, which God has prepared beforehand to be your way of life. That means an omnipotent, all-knowing, present God understands everything that lies ahead of you and he's directing you in the way that is best for you. And as we begin to land this, there are two things that we need to understand about what to do with our time and money. Not to what to do with it, but with our time and money in general. No matter how we spend our time or our money, it does not change God's view of us. That's one that we so easily get sucked into, believing that, man, if I spend this amount of money or if I serve this amount, then God will love me more. Then God won't look down on me as much as he does. But according to the Bible, God's love for every person is immense and unchanging. When someone understands their need to be saved and sees that Jesus is their Savior, they are instantly reconciled to their Creator. 
no matter how tight-fisted or open-handed they are with their money, does not change their relationship with God. No matter how often or little they serve others, does not change the state of that relationship. God's love for us is everlasting, and we are saved from our spiritual brokenness by grace and grace alone. Please hang on to that. But the flip side of that coin is a bit more challenging, but it's just as true. Money and time are, the, are two of the greatest forms of expression of our free will. A basic premise of this life is that we have been given free will, the ability to choose who and what we trust to bring us the good life. Money and time are the, some of the strongest indicators of where our trust lies. By looking at how you spend your money and time, you get a really good idea of what your priorities are. If you want the one who made you, the one that provides us with everything you need for this life to be your priority, then you need to prove this through your view on your money and your time. When we cling desperately to our money and time, we choose to keep control over our lives. Like I mentioned at the beginning, to live the good life that Jesus promised, we must understand our position in the universe, that we are flawed and temporary, here today, gone tomorrow. But God is perfect and eternal. He is the only one that truly understands the best way for us to live our lives. So by making him your priority, by loosening your grip on your money and your time, the best life possible lies before you. You know, we've stayed in the world of concepts and philosophies tonight, but I want to give you a quick practical challenge. During our 21 days of intention, consider committing to two things. First one, money. Take out some cash. right? Whatever makes you feel slightly uncomfortable. Openly tell God that this money is his to do with what he knows is best. Then place it in your purse or your wallet and carry it around with you. When the Spirit prompts you to give, give. Don't waste your time deliberating on whether the person needs it or deserves it. If God calls you to do it, simply obey. And with your time, Start each day with the prayer that you will help whomever God puts into your life that day. Grab the insert from the bulletin, write down your desire to serve others, and place it behind the steering wheel in your car. Again, whenever you sense God asking you to help another, simply obey. Try this out for just three weeks and see how it goes. It'll most likely begin to loosen your grip and bring you more of the life that Jesus has promised you. You know, as I finish up, if you would, just pray with me, just so that way we can take a a moment, you know, 20 seconds to kind of consolidate our thoughts and our emotions into specific words. God, thank you for creating us so often forget to tell you that. Thank you for giving us the time that you've given us. Uh, We trust it to you. We declare that you are the one that is in charge, that you are our priority. Do what you want with our time and with our money. 
We trust that you will give us what we need when we need it. Give us the courage and the passion to love other people well. Amen.